Hello, anybody there? This is OTR Rob, welcoming you to another edition of the Sears Radio Theater. Tonight's episode, The Troublemaker, stars Jim Jordan. You may know Jim Jordan as Fibber McGee of Fibber McGee and Molly. At the time that Jim recorded this, he was 81 years old, and he was playing a 67-year-old man. This this episode is kind of bittersweet in many ways. Um, in the cast tonight, along with Jim Jordan, is Shirley Mitchell. Now, Shirley Mitchell, if you remember, played Alice Darling in the 1944-45 season of Thurman McGee and Molly. And Frank Nelson is also in this episode. And uh, Frank and Fibber go a long way back. I think uh, Frank Nelson was at WMAQ the same time Fibber and Molly were. And um, he got to do a lot of parts on Fibber, McGee, and Molly long before he ever did anything with Jack Benny. I'm not sure if the casting of this show was happenstance or that um, Elliot Lewis decided that to get some of the people that Jim Jordan had worked with in the past together for this one episode. I, I say this show is bittersweet because this was a reunion in a way for Jim Jordan, but it was also the very last professional thing he ever did. Buck Benny and I had talked about this, and I, I totally agree with him. Jim Jordan picked the right thing to exit on. The, just by having this one show alone justifies the entire series of Sears Radio Theater. And his swan song, Jim Jordan's swan song, on this program is kind of fitting in a way because he's actually playing a totally different character than what he had been playing with Fibber McGee and Molly. And since Jim started in radio, it's quite befitting that he end his career on radio. Jim Jordan was born in 1896 on a farm in Chattanooga, Illinois, near Peoria, Illinois. He attended St. John's Church in Peoria, and his family eventually sold the farm and moved into Peoria. It was at the church choir practice that he met Marion Driscoll, whom he married on August 31, 1918. And five days after they married, Jim Jordan received his draft notice, and he went into the army. He was stationed in France in 1918, and what he did was he became a performer in France and joined a troupe where they entertained the troops who were coming back from war and going home. He was only in the service for a year, and so that's a pretty quick turnaround for someone in the military during wartime. After fooling around with vaudeville for a time, uh, they ended up having to quit, and they actually had to call their parents because they were broke and stuck in a small town in Illinois, and they had to wire their parents for money just to get back home 
And after that, Jim kind of got a steady job. But it was on one infamous night when Jim and his brother-in-law were listening to the radio. Byron bet Jim Jordan $10 that they, that they couldn't perform any better than the people on the radio program they were listening to. And Jim said they could. So Jim and Marion went down to that very radio station and they got themselves a job and they ended up being six months as the O'Henry twins and the sponsor was O'Henry Candy, Candy, Candy Bars. After that stint, they moved to WMAQ and uh, that's where they met Don Quinn and they developed a program called Smackout. And it was from there that Fibber McGee and Molly came about at WMAQ. And the rest is history. Marion and Jim Jordan have a star on Hollywood Walk of Fame. And they also have another star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame that simply reads Fibber McGee and Molly. I don't know of any radio show that had a star on the Hollywood Walk, Walk of Fame. Uh, Jim Jordan passed away on on April 1988. Jim had been hospitalized for about a week in a coma with a blood clot in his brain. He never gained He never gained consciousness after the uh, blood clot, and he passed away in his sleep. A year later, the Radio and Television Hall of Fame was formed, and Jim and Marianne Jordan were the first to be inducted into the Radio and Television Hall of Fame, just a year after Jim Jordan had passed away. So please, enjoy Sears Radio Theater uh, from February 20th, 1979, The Troublemaker, starring Jim Jordan with Shirley Mitchell and Frank Nelson. Now, as they say, on with the show. Comedy is tonight's theme as your Sears Radio Theater host Andy Griffith presents Jim Jordan in The Troublemaker. Your esteemed father is not about to do an El Foldo. I called again, introducing myself as Adnan Mubarak Sophie. Finance Minister of Kuwait. He was brushed off again. I began to wonder how many finance ministers, presidents, or other assorted possible clients had ever called and been told to go stuff a cabbage. Made me very nervous about my investment. Our program will begin after this message from your local station. This is Andy Griffith. At 6.45 this morning, Charles Kirby, a man in his late 60s, skips down the outside stairs that lead to his little apartment over a garage, takes a deep breath, savoring the crisp morning air, listens to the birds singing, walks down the driveway, the man with a smile on his face, at peace with the world. He takes out the sports section, flips back to the financial pages, runs down the New York Stock Exchange quotations, and then... Judas Priest, no longer at peace with the world, his face a mask of fury, Charles Kirby stormed back into his house. 
When Charles Kirby retired, he counted on an upward-headed computer-related company called Extronics to support him comfortably, if not luxuriously. His broker referred to it as a tiger. Well, the tiger had just bit him. Kaufman, George, and Moss, this is Larry Bendel. This is Charles Kirby, Mr. Bendel. What in the world has happened to Extronics? Well, Charlie, here's the way I see it. Hold it, hold it. What right have you to call me Charlie? Well, I know your father. He calls me sir. Oh, uh, I, I'm sorry, Mr. Kirby. You should be. Now, you were going to tell me the way you see it? Well, uh, the truth is, sir, uh, I don't know what's going on with Extronics. And nobody else does, either. You've got a gold star, Bendel. Your honesty is refreshing, if not nourishing. I'm going to let you in on a little secret. Yes, sir? I am a lone man. I'm retired and no longer young, who is about to take on a corporate giant and bring it to its damn knees. And may the fur fly where it will. And that's just the beginning of our story. Theater, a new adventure in radio listening. Brought to you five nights a week by Sears Roebuck and Company. Sears, where America shops. Your host, Lorne Green. I'll bring you stories of the Old West and the New. Andy Griffith with a look at the funny side of life. Vincent Price with tales of mystery and suspense. Cicely Tyson with stories about love hate, and related things. Richard Whitmark. I'll bring you stories of pure adventure. Five nights of exceptional entertainment every week. Brought to you in Elliot Lewis' production of The Sears Radio Theater. Our story, The Troublemaker, by John L. Green. Our star, Jim Jordan. This is Andy Griffith. Let me ask you a question. If you were a man facing this big financial crisis, if you were in urgent need of economic advice, the sort you just don't run into any old place, where would you go? What's that? The barber shop, you say? Exactly right. Mario, I come to you because you're my barber, and you claim to know almost everything. What's going on with Extronics? Uh, yeah, I dumped that because I didn't know what was going on either. Well, their plant is in your area, isn't it? Don't you ever hear anything? I'm counting on Extronics to support me in style, and that includes this expensive haircut. <laughs> There's a bar down the block where some of the guys from Extronics show up. It's got a picture out in front of a wild pig with a spear in him, and it's called a bloody boar. You get it? You see that... Mario, bloody... don't, don't explain jokes to me, or I'll cut your throat with a lady's razor and make it look like suicide. Go on. Well, I just heard grumbling there, so I sold. Yeah. Thank you, Mario Seville. And now back to you in the studio, Charles Kirby. I returned home to change my costume... And just as I was about to leave for the West Valley to see what I could find out about Extronics, my darling daughter arrived. 
in her usual fashion. Good afternoon, Daddy. Damn it, Carolyn. I've told you not to knock and bust in here immediately like an English maid with the paper and the morning tea. I might be entertaining. Oh, you're always entertaining, Daddy. Oh, you know what I mean. At your age, Daddy? Carolyn, I'm still strong enough to flip you over my knee and let my right hand explain about respect for your father. Now, what was it you wanted? I just wanted to tell you I'm pregnant. Isn't that wonderful? Oh, I suppose. But that's one of the easiest things in the world for a girl to be. Daddy. Congratulations to you. And congratulations to Paul. Thanks. Remind me to congratulate you again in nine months. Now, lock up, daughter. I'm heading for a sink of iniquity in the West Valley. Oh, Daddy, do you have to wear that noisy jacket? Thank you for your prompt reply. Well, the bloody boar turned out to be very cozy. Good drinks, fish and chips, darts, and fortunately for me, a medium-high level disgruntled extronic employee. Sure. I know what's wrong with Extronics. How'd you know I was with the company? The Extronics ID pinned to your shirt, the Extronics windbreaker, and the Extronics cap. Pretty observant, aren't you? Well, just a shot in the dark. How about Extronics? Sorry, but I couldn't talk about the company to a stranger. I see. Miss, bring another for my friend here. <laughs> No, 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 a double bourbon and ginger. You know, somehow you don't look so strange anymore. Except for that weird jacket. I stole it off a horse at Santa Anita. Well, what is wrong with Extronics? Actually, nothing's wrong. Oh? Except we've got three vice president, vice president, or whatever they are, who blame each other for everything that goes wrong. And who are these geniuses? Listen, Mr. Horace Blanket. Hinkle, Evans, and France are absolutely indispensable. We need them. Now, this Hinkle... A sweetheart, a wonderful guy, and what a sense of humor. You should see the insulting memos he sends off from Hinkle to Evans and France. Oh, does have a ring to it. He does them right after he comes back from lunch. Shows them to us, waits a couple hours, then sends them off. Hold it. Why does he wait a couple of hours? So when Evans and France come screaming in, he's on his way home. <laughs> Funny. <laughs> Hilarious. He aren't laughing. Oh, I've got stock in Extronics, mm. so it hurts me when I laugh. Yeah, now the guys in France's department have no responsibility. <laughs> they have nothing to do. Because old Fredo France decides on everything when he decides. It took him three days to decide what kind of paper clips we should use. <laughs> but they are the greatest paper clips. Oh. Excuse me. Uh, what's, what's the matter? I think I just swallowed a cannonball. Well, what about Evans? <laughs> He's really bright. And does he ever know it? His problem is he can't get along with human beings. That cuts out a lot of people. And does the chairman of the board approve of these kitty games? How would he know? He's out peddling the product. Oh. Now that I found out why my life savings were being fiddled away, I had to pass the information on where to reduce some good. So I called Extronics. Martha Wilkerson speaking. Is this the office of the chairman of the board? 
Well, my name is Charles Kirby. I'd like to speak to Mr. Fisk. So would a great many people. In regard to what, Mr. Kirby? Well, I prefer to explain that to Mr. Fisk. It's a matter of some urgency. Mr. Kirby, what may seem a matter of some urgency to you may be of total insignificance to Mr. Fisk. I suggest you explain this urgency in a letter, and I'll see that it comes to his attention. Thank you for calling. I'd love to kill that lady. And I just might do that. So, I wrote a letter that E.B. White would be proud of. Erudite and witty, but not too witty. And after a few days... Who's there? A relative. Oh, come in, daughter. Well, are you sure the coast is clear? Yes, yes. There isn't anybody in a black negligee hiding in the broom closet? Oh, for heaven's sake. The mail was there, and you've got a letter from Extronic. Let me see it. Well, don't that. Well, I don't believe it. It's a letter. Thank you for your letter. Hmm. Extronics is sorry it cannot answer all communications in a personal way, but rising wage costs, company mismanagement, and rude employees preclude that. Oh, you're making that up. Oh, so I am. In a personal way, but your letter has been filed appropriately. Hmm, they shredded me. Meanwhile, we thank you for your interest in Extronics. Most sincerely, scribbled initials. Well, you can't win them all. Why not? It's just an expression. Hmm, I never use it. Your esteemed father is not about to do an El Foldo. I called again, introducing myself as Adnan Mubarak Sophine, finance minister of Kuwait. Then I was brushed off again. I began to wonder how many finance ministers, presidents, or other assorted possible clients had ever called and been told to go stuff a cabbage. Made me very nervous about my investment, and I decided to take more direct action. Dad, Paul says that he's sexy. What are you doing? You first. Paul has a friend whose uncle goes to the same barber as Mr. Fisk, and maybe when the uncle gets back from trout fishing in New Zealand... Stop. He... Stop. Time is of the essence. Well, what are you doing? I'm going to crate myself and get delivered to Harrison Fisk's estate. I don't believe it. Not even standing here looking at the crate? Oh, damn it, Harry. Don't shoot. But who knows what's coming out of the crate? Could be the ultimate blob, the goo from outer space, the totipotent cell. Oh, my God. Sports page instead of science fiction. Oh, hold it. Oh, hold it. Okay, mister. Don't make any funny moves. Where am I? And who are you? You're in the outer drive of the Fisk home. And we're the estate patrol bomb squad. I was supposed to be taken inside the gates. Where's Harrison Fisk? When this crate showed up, he and his wife lit out for the Blackwell Hotel. Shall we recrate you and send you back? Daddy. Oh, Daddy, they haven't arrested you, have they? No, and they're not going to. Too many papers to fill out. I think we'd better take this man in. Okay, but you fill out the papers. Sir, consider yourself a free man. Oh, come on, Daddy, I'll take you home. By way of the Blackwell Hotel. Well, base one, this is Mobile 16. Alert the Blackwell Hotel that an unwelcome man will be trying to contact Mr. Fisk. He's a male Caucasian, about 75... 67. Works every time. 67, white hair, wearing a sport jacket you wouldn't believe. 
sort of a two-button rainbow. Take me home, Carolyn. I've got to institute operations squeaking wheels. And what is that going to be? Harrison Fisk is going to think God has declared practical joke week exclusively on him. It takes a large barrel full of imagination to come up with a scheme that will make somebody listen to what you have to say. Charles Kirby is such a man, which is a good thing since our story's about him. Harrison Fisk wouldn't listen. And so Charles Kirby raised his voice a little bit, so to speak. Monsieur and Madame Fisk, uh, pardon the interruption. Oh, everything is perfection as usual, Emile. The salmon is marvelous. Oh, thank you, merci. But I have just been asked to hand this note to you. Uh, Mrs. Fisk gets all the notes in this family. Uh, this seems to be for you. Oh? What is it, dear? Your car is not here. It has been reparked at the Acapulco restaurant in Long Beach. You'll like their margaritas. Do you know anything about this, Emile? Oh, they do have very good margaritas. No, no, no. About my car, for heaven's sakes. Well, uh, no, sir. Well, check on it, Emile. Check on it. I'm afraid your car's not here, sir. Oh, bleep! Harrison. turn it off, Mr. Fisk. Of course, there might have been a burglar. But there wasn't? Well, just this note on the front door. Oh, thank you. Your alarm system has been tested by Slicky Boys of Poussin Incorporated and has passed. If any of this distresses you, please call this number. Mr. Fisk, I... I ask not to be disturbed. Maybe you'd like to write the quarterly report. Very well. I'll tell Mrs. Fisk you can't see her. Oh, wait a minute. What's she doing here? Trembling, since you ask. She's almost hysterical. Well, bring her in. Yes, sir. Oh, my God. Now what? Oh, Harrison. Oh, Margaret. Margaret, sit down. I can't sit down. My knees are clenched. Well, what happened? Everything. Everything. That's what's happened. Party Rents wants to deliver a hundred folding chairs, an electric hospital bed, and a portable toilet. Well, there are tree surgeons who want to give us estimates for taking down all the eucalyptus trees. And there's a man with a bulldozer who thinks we want him to knock down the front gate. There's a man who wants to clear the hillside of brush. He looks like Pancho Villa, and he's got a whole army of mercenaries with machetes. There are four. Four plumber's trucks. And when I sneaked out the back way and drove off in Isoroku's pickup, the third howdy neighbor was just driving up. I've had it, Harrison. I've had it up to here, or maybe even up to here. Oh, I love you, but you seem to have a lousy karma lately. And I'm thinking of leaving you before somebody has a charity block party in my house. Oh, 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 wait, oh, oh, wait Margaret. I, I think I know what I have to do. It's all right now. It's all right, darling. 
Hello? Uh, this is Harrison Fisk. I, uh, gather you'd like to talk to me. There's a tavern not far from your plant called the Bloody Boar. I'd like to meet you there alone in an hour. I assure you it will be good for you, for me, and for Extronics. Charles Kirby? Sit down, Mr. Fisk. Thank you. I consider the way you forced me to come here completely reprehensible. I'm sorry you forced me to be reprehensible. I realize you're a busy man, Mr. Fisk. You're inaccessible. I phoned, and I wrote this very nice letter on my best stationery. This is a carbon. Hmm. Uh, erudite? Witty, but not too witty. Exactly. In answer, I received this form letter. Oh. Oh, I begin to sense the source of your animosity. I'd like to shove it down the throat of that snide secretary of yours out there. Now, the reason for all this is that I put most of my retirement money into extronics. And now I see my semi-comfortable life threatened. So I found out why extronic stock is going down. How could an outsider possibly... I talk to insiders. You have three factions here that don't get along. Groups headed by Henkel, Evans, and Trance. So your management is divided. Or as today's kids put it, polarized. As chairman of the board, you should have done something about this three years ago. You're quite right. But goodbye, Mr. Kirby. You sit right down or I'll tear this solid gold button right off your jacket. All right. I'll hear you out. But I know the problem. I can't fire any of them. They're too good, too important. And they're also prima donnas, and if I speak frankly to them, they'll quit, and one of my competitors will hire them. Of course, if I don't fire them... Right down the drain. There's no solution. There's always a solution. Let me give you an example of a difficult problem. Once upon a time, an Arab died, leaving his 17 camels to his three sons. Half to the oldest, the third to the middle son, and a ninth to the youngest son. Seventeen's a prime number. It's impossible. Yes, but then a wise man rode up on his camel, and they told him their problem. The wise man thought a moment, then said, Suppose I lend you my camel, temporarily. Now, you have eighteen camels, and half of eighteen is nine. So the older son took nine camels. Next, a third of eighteen is six, and the middle son took his six camels. And a ninth of 18 is 2 for the youngest son. And now 9, 6, and 2 are 17. And so this remaining camel, of course, that's mine. And with that, the wise man got on his camel and rode off. Shall I run the camels by you again? Uh, no, no, I, I was just thinking. It's, uh, it's an unusual solution. Well, I have a solution to your problem. And it's a little unusual, too. When I'm through, Hinkle's Evans, France, and you will be one big happy family again. You'd have to be a genius. Well, I do have my bright moments. And I expect to be well paid for them. Yes, right. But about the camel... Well, think about that for a while. First, I suggest you hire me. And then here's what you do and what I'll do. (laughs) 
I want you to meet Kirby Charleston, Mr. Hinkle, Mr. Evans, and Mr. Pratt. Uh, Hello, you do, sir. Sir. Uh, I, uh, I'll be brief, gentlemen. Benton, Rogers, and Gravett, as well as Matrix Development, are concerned about the way things are going at Extronics, and they should be. Our dividend is going to be half of what it was last year. Needless to say, they believe we're doing something very wrong. And they suggested Kirby Charleston here. He's been a very successful troubleshooter with other companies, and I'm confident he'll do as well here. Now, I want you to give him your cooperation and extend all courtesies to him, because he'll be working directly under me as special assistant to the chairman of the board. Oh, well, you won't find any problems in my department. I don't have any trouble. <laughs> Nor do I. How can you be so damn sure? What? Your three departments make up the company, and the company is in trouble. At least one of you must be grossly misinformed about his own department. And I'm going to find out who it is. <laughs> Asking questions, taking secretaries out to lunch. Very pleasant it was, too. Asking questions and filing the answers away. The fourth day, I visited Hinkle, just after his three-martini lunch. Good afternoon, Mr. Hinkle. Oh, oh. oh hello. Uh, How was your lunch? Oh, delicious. Very tasty. What'd you have? What? To eat. Oh, what did I have to eat? Well, let's see. I had, um... You had veal kidneys. Now, do you answer your mail now? I mean, oh, sure, sure. I'll do it now. Never put off till today what you don't have time to do tomorrow. That's one of Fred O'Francis' problems. He can't make decisions. Come to think about it, I ought to write him a memo about that. Yeah. I had veal kidneys. How do you know? The shadow knows. Oh, he do. The Hinkle situation was just as I had heard it at the bloody board. So, one down. And the next day, I dropped in on Evans. A really nice, bright man. Miss Henderson! Where are you, Miss Henderson? Hello, Mr. Evans. Oh, oh, uh, <clears throat> where did you come from, Mr. Uh, Charleston? I came from Ohio. Miss Henderson stepped away from her desk for a moment. What for? Guess. Well, that's another one I've got to replace, leaving her desk, women. And what, what was it that Shakespeare said about women? No, no, that's what Sherman said about war. Uh, you know, you're right. Hey, have you found out who's creating the problems around here? Indeed I have. Great, glad to hear it. Anybody I know? You better believe it. I was reasonably sure that I was right about France, but I wanted to check. I dropped in as he was on the intercom to his secretary. And tell National Oxides I'll get back to him in two days. Then tell Henderson at Formula X I'll get to him with an answer in a day or so. And tell Harvey Levick I won't be able to talk a deal this week. I've got to look over all that material he sent me. Now, you've got to put off that meat... I'll get back to you later, Eunice. Uh, hello, Mr. Charleston. Mr. Franz. Yeah, what uh, can I do for you? Answer a few questions. <laughs> Gladly. Have you okayed the order for the Syndrex Corporation? No, not yet. Haven't had time to look them over. Well, the space and tolerances are what you asked for. Why the delay? I've had other things to do. I'm taking care of it, Mr. Charleston. In a very sloppy way. What did you say? 
Surely you heard me. How long did Sendrex Corporation guarantee their prices? Now you look here, Mr. Charles. Today is the I... last day. I suggest you call them personally and say yes before you get a 15% hike. I'm a very busy man, sir. Would you mind getting out of my office? Out! I can only say to you what you said to me when I came in. Oh, gladly. I had found the problems. Three of them. Now the trick was to solve them without losing the company and my retirement checks in the process. This is Andy Griffith again with the concluding act of The Troublemaker. There are several ways of skinning a cat. At that particular moment, none of them had to be used because only a worried Mr. Fisk was involved. He stopped me in the corridor between offices. What about those camels? Well, I can tell you more about uh, extronics, and I think it's about time to set up a meeting. Oh, good, good. Hinkle's coming this way. I'm ready for him. Hello, Harrison. And Mr. Charleston. Well, I'm glad you're here, Mr. Hinkle, because I don't like to talk about people behind their backs. You mind if I eavesdrop? Drip away. I was just about to recommend to Mr. Fisk that you not be allowed to make any company decisions after one o'clock. And what does that mean? It means that those three martinis at the simpering bull turn your brain into a bowl of minestrone. Oh, wait a minute. Your judgment goes to pot. People tell you things you wouldn't even look at in the morning. You get childish and write insulting memos. This is a company, Mr. Hinkle. Not a daycare playground. Oh, now, Mr. Charles. Are you trying to call me an alcoholic? I'm trying to avoid calling you an alcoholic. I'll leave it to Mr. Fisk to act on my recommendation. I have more to do, but I'll tell you something, Mr. Hinkle. You and your three martini lunches are one of the things wrong with extronics. Did you hear that? Oh, every word, clear as a bell. Well, I resent this guy. Oh, I don't blame you. Of course, I have seen some of your memos. Well... I sometimes get in the mood to write a memo. Uh, is it usually after lunch? No, I don't think so at all. Not really. Well, if there's nothing to it, don't let it bother you. I won't. I won't. But, well, he practically called me an alcoholic. <laughs> I hope that was a psychic slip. Yes, it must have been. I haven't had lunch yet. I, I mean, I haven't. I would prefer Miss Wilkerson were not present. And why is that, Mr. Charleston? Wouldn't you like to know? You would, and I'll tell you. I was planning to play a tape of a phone call in which your attitude toward the president of System 3 Semiconductors can only be described as outrageous. My God, is that who that was? Naturally, Mr. Matsumoto didn't get through to Mr. Fisk. Matsumoto? And he won't call again unless I persuade him to reconsider. Oh, I wish you would. Oh, yes. Very well. Well, I'll just tell him that... Uh, I'll tell him Martha's father and mother died in an automobile crash the day before, and she was out of sorts. I'll say it was her car. I'll go, but please don't play that tape. Very well. The point is, try not to filter out everybody. I got the point, Mr. Charleston, and I'll be more careful. Now, I have already recommended to Mr. Fisk 
that Mr. Hinkle not be allowed to make business decisions or write memos after his three-martini lunch. The whole thing is ridiculous. I'll miss those memos. Uh, it seems to me that's pretty strong, but... Mr. I... Fisk has not taken the recommendation yet. It's an easy solution, which is more than I can say for the problem with Mr. France here. What problem? Mr. France, you've got to do something about that enormous ego of yours. Ego? I? Mr. Charleston, I am the humblest of men. Yes, I know. You're the tops in humility. And considering yourself humble is just another form of arrogance. I consider that pretty insulting. Well, uh, since we're paying for it, I, I think we ought to hear him out. Well, what's that got to do with my department in extronics? I'll get immediately to the point. You and your ego think you're the only ones who can pass on everything. You may be the best to decide, but anybody can order special paper clips. And meanwhile, your desk becomes a hiatal hernia obstructing the passage of vital paperwork, information, and decisions. Now, maybe you don't realize that he often works all night for extronics. I and know, that... I know. Doing things he should delegate to other people. And then he's tired all the next day. But it's interesting you should come to his defense, Mr. Evans. Why not? I don't like the way you're handling this whole thing. You're going to like it less. I'm surprised you back up, Mr. France, when you're the most inconsiderate of the people who work for you. You ride roughshod over your assistants like a Hungarian nobleman. Now, hold it. No. What about Annabelle Potkin? You drove her out of Extronics, and now she's with Rockworth when she's needed here. Have you found a replacement yet? How would you like to step outside? Now, now, take it easy, Eddie. I suppose you think that would prove Extronics didn't need her. Don't you have the slightest feeling for your fellow human beings? Can't you be satisfied being a minor god? You'd get cooperation you wouldn't believe. I'm not going to take this. Wait for me, Eddie. And you wouldn't have to break in a new secretary every week. Now I'm coming too. Think about what I said, sir. I'm just going to... Eddie, come on. Let's go. I just hope I haven't lost my three top men. So do I. Just remember, I have stock in Extronics, too. What would you have done if Evans really tangled with you? I would have beaten the hell out of him. The three department heads caucused in the executive restroom. Let me tell you one thing, boys. We may have had our differences, and we may have needled each other more than was absolutely necessary, but we have got to get together and get rid of this character. Eddie, would you go in and shoot him now if we all promised to swear you were in Chicago at the time? Well, I'm tempted. And, Harry, yeah, you may have to wait until five for your martinis for a while. I may take up jogging for lunch. I didn't know we lost Annabelle Potkin. Well, I shouldn't have yelled at her. She's too sensitive. Seems to me somebody found your sensitive spots recently. You could say that. All right. I agree with Fredo. We've got to sign a truce, back each other up, and tell Harrison to wrap up Kirby Charleston and send her back to Benton Rogers and Gravette. Yeah, but we're going to have to stop taking extronics for granted. Yeah, we've all been doing it. Yeah, first things first. Are we prepared to tell Harrison or else? I am. I am, too. No, not me. Not me. I didn't go out for lunch today. I thought you seemed friendlier. Oh, wait a minute, Eddie. Now, no, hold it, hold it. We've got to go back to what we used to be. The three musketeers, the can-do kids. And it's got to be one for all and all for one. Are we ready? Almost. Thank you. Those camels. 
Now, you know the old Arab. I've been wondering how... Oh, here they come, Charles. You were right. Go ahead. Say anything. And furthermore, these are the men... Uh, the men who made Extronics what it is. Oh, gentlemen, I, I'm glad you're here. I was just about to tell Mr. Charlson that we were the team that made Extronics, and we aren't breaking it up on the basis of a fast psychological fix from some corporation medicine man. Now, wait a minute, Mr. Fisk. You agree Believe to... me, Harrison, he's not a troubleshooter. He's a troublemaker. Oh, right. you can say that again. But everything I said was right. Hinkle was screwing up with his martini lunch. France wouldn't let anything get done in his department without his initials. And Evans was alienating everybody in his radiation fallout zone. Douglas MacArthur was a pussycat in comparison. And that's enough, Charleston. But wait, it's all true. These men don't realize how they've been kicking extronics down the tube by fighting among themselves. I don't want to hear it, Mr. Charleston. But you've got to hear no, it. No, no, I don't. Mr. Charleston, you may be very perceptive, you may be very bright, and you may even be very right. I'll have to check with my three right-hand men about that, because they've always been honest with me. But as far as I'm concerned... No, Mr. no, I'm not through yet. My work isn't done here. Oh, that may be so, but all I can say is, out! Hmm. I see. Well, I can't imagine how you're going to survive. Goodbye. Hey, all right. How about that? Uh, that one cheer for the chairman. Hip, hip, hooray! Fellas, <laughs> I'm sorry I hired him, but everything was going down, down, down. I, I didn't know what to do, but I had to do something. Maybe there's something to be learned here. I, I just wouldn't have the slightest idea. <laughs> Well, Charles Kirby, a.k.a. Kirby Charleston, it was worth it. Retrieving my car from Long Beach and suffering with the burglar alarms and all the rest of it. I think you've got my management team straight now. Well, the idea was get them all to hate me instead of each other and then get them united in their hate. And you fire me. <laughs> well, they're happy, you're happy, and I'm happy. Oh, what could I say? You said the things to them that nobody could say without upsetting the relationships. Oh, boy, were you frank. I had to be. But they're going to remember. You burned a lot of your criticism right on their minds. <laughs> well, yes. And that was quite a number you did on Martha Wilkerson. She had it coming. I guess so. I, um, I presume you were Mr. Matsumoto? Oh, yes, calling long distance from Honolulu. <laughs> it, now, about those camels. Well, a half, a third, and the ninth don't equal one. So the Arab didn't give them all away. Oh. I like to think that I'm the floating camel that solved your problem. <laughs> I have a check here for you, Charles. Thank you. I don't mind saying that while the squabbling was going on, I sold Extronic short and picked up a small bundle. <laughs> but now... Yes? I'm happy to say I'm bullish on Extronics. <laughs> <laughs> Some really impossible guy was hired by this company. I think it was the one you used to be interested in. Uh, Contronics? Extronics. No, 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 no. Contronics. Uh, or maybe it was uh, Centronics? Extronics, Mario. <laughs> That's what I said, Extronics. Well, he went over there and blistered the whole management team. Ah, rumors, rumors. They said he was an older guy in his 50s. Oh? 
too. So they said that, eh? You know? Well, I don't know how to put this, but let me tell you something, Charlie. Mr. Kirby, damn it. Hey, sorry, sir. You're going to tell me what? Oh, yeah. Uh, Mr. Kirby, I was just going to say that you ought to do something with your time. <laughs> well, I'll think about it, Mario. nights a week by Sears Roebuck and Company. Sears, where America shops. The Troublemaker was written by John L. Green, produced and directed by Elliot Lewis. Your host was Andy Griffith. Our star was Jim Jordan. Also heard were Michael Gelman, Shirley Mitchell, Mary Jane Croft, Ralph Sedan, Elvia Allman, Frank Nelson, Sidney Miller, Herb Rudley, Herb Vigran, and Jerry Hausner. The music for Sears Radio Theater was composed and conducted by Nelson Riddle. Art Gilmore speaking. The Elliott Lewis production of Sears Radio Theater is a presentation of CBI. CBI.